we're going to be in Acts. And I think we're going to start off in, I don't know, 21st chapter. So we're, uh, since last September, we're kind of in this thing from September to May. If you're fairly new, our Wednesday night Bible studies kind of follow the school year. And we're on something called the beginning of a movement. Normally, uh, I do book studies on Wednesday nights about once every 10 years. I don't do a book study. I do something else. And this was the time I did something else. So just looking at the beginning of the Christian movement and its impact, how it started, the, the factors that were a part of it, coming to the scriptures to understand some things in their context that you may not normally get. Sometimes just when you read things, you may not always get some of the contextual things that are going on. It's going to be true tonight as well. Uh, in, in the fall, we really focused on Jesus in the Gospels, and then we kind of come now on, on the church itself. We spent a lot of time in Acts, um, and we're, the time in Acts is kind of coming to a close. We've got about eight weeks left. Um, we won't meet the Wednesday night before uh, Easter. We won't meet, uh, well, well, we'll meet the first Sunday night in May, but it's the Awana Awards. So we've got about eight weeks uh, of teaching left, and we're kind of coming out to the to conclusion. And after we get through the next week or two with Acts, we're going to be really looking at some other factors that influence. We're looking at the important people, some of the, some of the philosophies that they face, just to try to get an understanding so that when you read the New Testament, sometimes you can read things and say, okay, I get this now. I understand this now. This, this makes sense to me. And so what we're going to deal with tonight as we come to the 21st chapter of Acts, the time is about 58 AD. Jesus uh, has been gone for about 28 years. Christianity at its inception was primarily Jewish. It has moved more and more to becoming Gentile. We have seen that. And Christianity is about to become predominantly, almost exclusively Gentile into its future. 58 AD, we'll see the events <coughs> dealing with Paul at Jerusalem. After, after the experiences in Jerusalem, uh, as we'll go through in a few minutes, basically Jew, the Jews, for the most part, stopped coming to Christ. Judaism basically rejected Christianity. There were still Jews who were Christians, all that. But the movement of Jews really just trickled out. In 62 AD, James, the brother of Jesus, was killed in Jerusalem by the Jews. Uh, Josephus tells us that in, in some degree of detail. In 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed, and most of the Jews in that area were killed, including Christians. That's why Jesus, Matthew 24, talks about the destruction of Jerusalem, tells the Christians to flee. Matthew 24 is primarily about that event. Whatever else you may hear, whatever else you may study, whatever else you may believe. If your understanding of Matthew 24 does not include an understanding of what happened at the fall of Jerusalem from 66 to 70, you're missing out. Even if you just look at what happens in the New Testament, you can see that um, after this event, Paul, uh, at the end of Acts, he's in prison in Rome. Paul writes several letters uh, from prison in Rome. He writes Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Philemon. They are Gentile in nature. He will later go on to write First and Second Timothy. And uh, Titus, they are two churches that are dominated by Gentiles. Peter in his two books, First and Second Peter, there's some debate over, you know, is Peter written to, to Jewish believers who are persecuted in Asia Minor or, or Gentiles? But if you read it carefully, and I did a whole study on this last year, it's, it's basically to the churches but who are dominated by Gentiles. By the time Peter writes, 
in about 64, Jews have pretty much stopped coming to Christ. If you read the book of Hebrews, did a massive study on Hebrews two years ago. What I told you is that the author of Hebrews, writing in the mid-60s, is making an appeal to Jewish Christians and Jews who were thinking about becoming Christians, but mostly it's Jewish Christians, to not go back to Judaism because they were under intense pressure from the Jews, not from the Gentiles, not from the Romans, from the Jews to go back. And he talked about the superiority of Christ to the Jewish system in And the author of Hebrews obliterates any idea that there is to be a resurgence of the Jewish way of faith. He destroys that. People who say that there's going to be a resurgence and it's going to go, the Jews are going to go back to all the stuff they did, need to read Hebrews. (laughs) He basically says, nah. John writes all five of his works after the events that we see here. In fact, he wrote probably the last five, but wrote them later in the century. And all five of them, when you read them, there is nothing distinctly Jewish about it at all. So that's why what we're going to talk about today, I call the, the final rejection. This is when, for once and for all, the Jews, under their leadership of the, of the, of the hierarchy, reject Christianity. So in chapter 21... Beginning in verse 7, we set it up. Paul is heading to Jerusalem to take the offering. He had collected this offering for the church at Jerusalem. When we, including Luke, had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus, and after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. The next day we left and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who, had, uh, who was one of the seven. We stayed with him. Philip from chapter 6, Philip who in chapter 8, uh, went into the Ethiopian eunuch, we looked at that. Many years had passed. He was still around. He had four virgin daughters. They were prophetesses. And we were staying with him for some days, and a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. The Jews in Jerusalem are going to take Paul, hand you over to the Gentiles for the purpose of killing you. Didn't put that part in there. And when we had heard this, as well as the local residents, began begging him not to go to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem in the name of the Lord Jesus. He was willing. Doesn't mean he didn't put up a good fight. Okay. And since we would not be persuaded... We fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. Paul is putting himself in the hands of God. Verse 17, after we had arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren, the Christians that were Jewish, received us gladly. Jerusalem still dominated by Jewish believers, or the church was. The following day, Paul went in with us to to, to James, and all the elders were present. After he greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. And they are all zealous for the Lord. So they said, not only are the Gentiles coming, but there are thousands of Jewish believers in Jerusalem. This is, this is the high mark. They're there. But in the rest of the world, they're not coming. And eventually... They're going to be destroyed or dispersed there. So this is it. So you got that. They're zealous for the law of the Lord, though. They're Jews. They're followers of Christ, but they still follow the Jewish way. 
And they have been told about you, that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to be circumcised, or not to circumcise the children, nor walk according to the customs. So they're saying, there's a rumor, and nasty rumor spread, that you're telling Jews to abandon Judaism, to live like Gentiles. So what then is to be done? They will certainly hear what you've come. Do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them. Pay their expenses so they may shave their heads. And all will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly keeping the law. In other words, even though you're a follower of Christ, because you're Jewish, you still, that part of the Jewish system that is compatible with Christianity, you're still there. You still, you still are Jewish. You still the circumcision. You, you still, you know, you, you still are that guy. Come to the temple. You're still there. Okay. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided that they should abstain from meat sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from what is strangled, from, and from fornication. Then that's what they talked about in Acts 15. Then Paul took them in, and the next day purified himself along with him, went into the temple, giving notice to the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. So Paul went along for the sake of harmony. Paul's the one who writes, I am all things to all men. He's the one who writes, for the Jew, I will do things that are unique to the Jewish people, for Gentiles to them. In Corinthians, he writes about this. He talks about it, that because of our strength, it's okay for us to help those who are weak. He's not compromising. He's not compromising Christianity. He is Jewish. There are certain expectations of being Jewish that are unique to them. They don't apply to us. So Paul would always still keep the Passover. Paul would keep the Jewish holidays, celebrations. And he expected other Jews to do the same thing. He just expected them to find fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He never expected Gentiles to do that. So you got the situation. He is in the temple. He did all this. When the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, these are not Christians, these are just Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up the crowd and laid hands on him. In other words, they went after him. And they made this, and they lied. This is what they said. Men of Israel, Come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law in this place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled the holy place. So he brought Gentiles into the temple, which was against the Jewish law. And Paul knew that. One of the few things that Romans as a rule would allow Jews to pass the death sentence on were Gentiles who went in to the sacred places of the temple where they were not allowed to go. Now, in Paul's case, because he's a Roman citizen, that would not be allowed. Read on, and we'll read on and see that. So what you have then is you have persecution coming. You have them who are Jewish lying about Paul, making up, fabricating the stories uh, that Paul did things that were unimaginable, unthinkable. None of it's true. Paul hadn't even been there. You know, he brought this guy, and you're going to see why they say that now. But Paul, you know, Paul hadn't done the things they had done. Paul mostly preached to the Gentiles. He rarely even preached to the Jews anymore. They had rejected everything. So, verse 29 tells us, they had previously seen Trophimus, the, uh, the Ephesian in the city, with him. And they supposed that Paul had brought him to the temple. That's being kind. They basically lied about it. Then all the city was provoked. It may be a bit of a stretch, but this was a big, big, big deal. And the people rushed together, and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut, while they were seeking to kill him. 
uh, reports, you can go ahead and get that if you need to. A report came to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. They were going to kill him. Now, there's a little bit of exaggeration probably. But you've got to imagine, this is a big deal. Because Jerusalem is thoroughly Jewish. And Paul took a Gentile into the temple. And now, this, they, they have aroused the whole city against Paul. Now, Paul's been run out of places. I talked last week. Been run out of Thessalonica. Been actually been run out of Philippi. Been run out of Thessalonica. Been run out of Berea. Uh, he'd been run out of, you know, they'd gone after him in Ephesus. The Gentiles went after him. The Jews went after him all over the place. But they got the whole city after him this time. I mean, this is, this is huge controversy of what Paul has done. This is a watershed mark of what's going on. It's just not a few people. I mean, the church then is also in turmoil because if Paul did this, it puts the church in a bad light. In fact, I would simply say that after this is over, whatever favoritism that the, Gen- the Jewish church, the, Jew- the Christians, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem may have had was probably gone. This did irreparable harm. Uh, a few years later, James was put to death. I mean, this is big. It doesn't come out so much. So they accuse him, basically, of a few things. So chapter 22, Paul is among the Roman guard. And he is arguing in chapter 21, verse 40, says in the Hebrew dialect. Chapter 22 says this, Brothers and fathers, hear my defense, which I offer to you. And they heard that he was dressed in the Hebrew dialect. They became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew. Born in Tarsus of Cilicia and brought up in the city, that's Jerusalem, educated under Gamaliel. Let me stop. Gamaliel was the most revered Jewish mind of his day. He was probably dead by now. At the trial of Jesus, uh, most likely Gamaliel was not have been there. Shortly after the trial of Jesus, when Peter and John are before the, the Sanhedrin and they want to put him to death, Gamaliel is the one that has reason and says, we can't do this. If these guys are from God, you can't do this. If they're not from God, he'll take care of it. And, and it's a common influence. Gamaliel <coughs> was the grandson of a guy named Hillel. <coughs> about, the, about the time that Jesus, before, before Jesus came around, uh, before that time, there, there was uh, two brilliant Jewish scholars, uh, Shemaiah and Hillel. Shemaiah was fairly conservative. Hillel was a little more liberal, but but these guys helped set the tone. They helped set the standard for understanding, not so much the Hebrew scriptures, but the interpretations of the Hebrew scriptures. In other words, there were Hebrew scriptures, there were some writings, interpretations about them. Hillel basically took those interpretations and the oral tradition and defined them. So sometimes when they ask Jesus questions in the New Testament, they're asking in light of Hillel's religious belief or philosophy. So Gamaliel is his grandson. He's a brilliant mind. Paul studies under him. Sometimes when I tell you Paul's one of those brilliant men that ever lived, this is why. Paul knew more about the Jewish scriptures than any of those guys there. In part because of the leadership of the Holy Spirit. In part because he was just naturally brilliant and because he studied under. Most of those guys, maybe none of them, would have studied under Gamaliel. Paul, who's now probably late 50s, early 60s, somewhere in there, would have been one of the few people alive 
because of his age. Who would have studied under that man? So this, is, so this is kind of an important thing. It's a credential. I was uh, educated under him strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God just as you are today. I was just one of you. I persecuted the way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons. And also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. From them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. Paul saying, I kill people. I kill Christians. I have the authority to do it. Paul, Paul's credentials outweigh all of them. Now, sometimes when Paul writes a letter, like when he writes to 2 Corinthians, Paul kind of lays out his bona fides. What, you know, what qualifies Paul to be able to write to the church, to establish churches? What is his authority? What is his authenticity? This is what sets Paul apart. Not only was he brilliant from the standpoint of the Christian faith, he was brilliant from the standpoint of the Jewish faith. Smartest guy in the room. We've all met someone who thinks they're the smartest guy in the room, right, until someone else walks in. You know, when the room's empty, they're right. And then as soon as someone walks in, oh, you're not the smartest one. Every room Paul went into. I told you this last week, I think, in Acts 17. Every room Paul went into. Smartest men in the room, hands down. Including all these guys. I, I wish I had time to just go through all the things, some of the things that Paul did and just against his opponents. It's amazing. So he lays all this out. So he's going to get to the heart of the matter. In verse 17 of chapter 22. So Paul's talking. And it happened after his conversion. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple. I fell into a trance. Peter fell into a trance. They fell into a lot of trances back then. Some of you are close to falling into a trance now. The other day someone told me, I'm sorry, the chairs are so comfortable. I, I just fall asleep. I said, don't notice. It's okay. It doesn't bother me. But if we leave and don't wake you up and turn the lights off, that's your problem. Verse 18, he says, I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. So this is back when his early conversion. He He was in Jerusalem, had to leave. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. He's saying, all these people understand. All these Jews are going to understand, God, where I came from. Surely they'll believe me. You know, you think about it. Who is the most logical people <clears throat> that Paul would go to? Jews. He was one of them. He was the smartest of them all. And he had been converted. Lord, let me go to the Jews. They're my people. They're going to accept what I'm Paul. Well, at the time he was Saul. They came, I'm Saul. I'm one of them. And I'm a follower of Jesus now. Why do I have to leave Jerusalem? And he said in verse 20, And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I was standing by approving and watching for the coats of those who were staying him. And he was just telling him. In verse 21, this is where it becomes critical. It's, it's just, you read through this. This is the second time of Paul's testimony. There's another time later on. And you won't get this. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Understand. Your task, Paul, is to go lead the Christian movement of the Gentiles. Jesus has always promised that 
the faith would go to all the nations. What do you say in Matthew 28? Go make disciples of all nations. That's not geopolitical units, that's cultures. It was always that way. Back to Abraham, God said, all the peoples of the world will be blessed by you. Talking about Jesus. It's always been God's way. It's always been God's way that all cultures come to faith. The Jew's job was to be the conduit. When we talk about the Jews being God's chosen people, it was so God could use them to reach people, not exclude people. I hear all the time, you know, Jews are God's chosen people. Well, they were. And they blew it. Yeah, I know this is tough when I say this. It goes against what some of you have learned and some of you believe. And I get it. And we're cool. If you don't agree with me, I'm cool with it. You may not be, but I am. I'm not losing any sleep over it. I promise you. If you come say, David, I disagree with you, I'm going to say, I don't care. But when the Jews rejected Jesus, the privilege ended. Because no man comes to God no woman comes to God. I'm politically correct. Nobody comes to God but through Jesus. If you reject Jesus, no privilege. Now, I know Paul writes they're going to be grafted in. I get it. I know that. I know at the end times there'll be a resurgence. I get it. I believe all of that. Because they're always going to be in Jesus. But there are people who believe that they have a special place outside of Christ. You only have one problem. Nowhere in the New Testament does he give you permission. We're going to go quote the Old Testament. Fine, go quote the Old Testament. Then come see what Jesus says in Matthew 5. I've come not to do away with the law. I fulfilled it, period. Read the book of Hebrews, which I led you in a lengthy study on time and time again. The old is dead. The old is dead. Hebrews 8.13. It is obsolete. To be obsolete means it is of no value. Finished. Any of you become obsolete lately? No value. All the guys on staff are looking at each other. I don't think it's me. You obsolete? No. Stop pushing more buttons. Go, I will send you away to the Gentiles. Now here, get this. They listened to him up to this statement. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth. For he should not be allowed to live. Why? Why should Paul not be allowed to live? Because he was going to reach Gentiles for Jesus. That's it. And here's what I suggest to you. At that moment, the Jews had completely rejected Christ. Go read the rest of Acts. And you read, you know, in in chapter 22 here, uh, you go to chapter 23, they're trying to kill Paul. In chapter 24, he's before Felix, they want to kill Paul. Chapter 25, you know, chapter 25, verse 1, Festus then, having arrived to the problem. This is is years later, a couple years later, from all this stuff in 22. Three days went up to Jerusalem in Caesarea. Verse 2, the chief priest and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul. They were urging him, requesting a concession against Paul, that he might have time to be brought to Jerusalem. Not brought him to Jerusalem at that time. They were setting up an ambush to kill him on the way. 
Two years later, a different governor. He still wanted to kill Paul. Until Paul left Jerusalem to go to Rome. That's what they did. And here's the thing. After Paul leaves Jerusalem to go to Rome, the Jews become irrelevant. And they are irrelevant to this day. Because Christ is all that is relevant. America is not relevant outside of Jesus. Nothing is relevant in God's economy of salvation. No one, no group is relevant in God's plan of salvation except Jesus Christ and the church who was founded in Jesus. Be Jewish or Gentile, doesn't matter. We don't care if you're Jewish, Gentile, Arab. You can be Hindu, former Hindu, Buddhist, we don't care. But once you come to Christ, all of that changes. In about 10 years after what the passage, as Paul leaves to go to Rome, he'll be in Rome two years. So he goes to Rome about 60. In 10 years after that, Jerusalem's utterly destroyed. Just wipe. It starts in 66 with the Bar with the Jewish revolts. And within four years, the Romans just destroyed them. Destroy the temple. Just as Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24. So why is all this important? Because it should always be a reminder to us that if the Jews who were God's chosen people reject God, and face the wrath of God. Anyone who rejects Jesus will face the same thing. Gave him every chance. He gave him 40 years. Think about it. In Jerusalem, they had Peter. They had James, the brother of Jesus, as their pastor. Paul hung around there. The church was growing. I mean, early on, the church exploded. Every opportunity, everywhere Paul went, what did he do? He'd go into the synagogue. Started there. First shot, every time he went to the synagogue. In the vast majority of times, they rejected the message. Cannot reject Jesus and expect to get away with it. And there's one more lesson that's so important. God is patient, patient up to a point. And at some point, God will say, that is enough. The one thing I try to get through over and over when I share the gospel, and I try to do it this past Sunday, you have the opportunity now to come to Christ. You don't know that you'll get an extra opportunity. It's not because you're going to die. You may live another 50 years. He just may never give you the chance. God may say, well, that was it. You had it. I mean, you were at church. The, was, the music was great. The message was fantastic. It was clear. The pastor did the best job ever. I could have asked for anyone to preach better than that. And you walked away and said no. All right, I'll give you what you want. Remember that scripture teaches us this. God will give us what we want. And if we want to reject Jesus, he will always let us. He will never force us. 
So when we complain about God, and how could God allow this and do this? All God does is give you the desire of your heart. If the desire of your heart is to walk away from Jesus, he will let you walk away. Someone else will take your place. Anybody have any questions? Let me reiterate one more time. As I share, this is at that, the, the point where you, you basically see the Jews, their fate is sealed. The leadership of the Jews have rejected. Doesn't mean individuals don't come. Individuals still do. Always. People still do. But as a rule, this is it. Okay, questions you may have. Well, okay. Yes. No, I don't mean they're no longer relevant in terms of God's economy for salvation. So when you look at how does God plan for people to come to Christ early on, the Jews were part of that plan. Right now, if you reject Jesus, I don't care who you are. You're not relevant for that. Uh, doesn't mean that Jews won't come to Christ. They do in our country all the time. They do in Jerusalem. It doesn't mean that at the end there won't be a grafting in, as Paul says. It won't mean, that doesn't mean there won't be a revival. But fundamentally, it is not the Jews who share the gospel. It is the church. Regardless of its makeup, the Jews have passed on that back then. Still do. Most every Jew that I know, that I'm close to, in any way I grew up, rejects Jesus. I have, in my lifetime of growing up, and I grew up in a high school, had a bunch of Jewish people, very close, some of them were dear friends of mine. Never met one who trusted Christ. There are some, I'm going to say, and I met them. When they come through town and say, hey, we're the Messianic Jews. We want to come preach in the church. I got that. I'm just talking about my personal circle of influence. There's a possibility of one who I haven't talked to in a long time, who I hope and pray, but basically it's not. They checked it. Anything else? Well, we're good. <laughs>